All right, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're in week 6 of a series that we have entitled Steps. Steps that we believe are vital in our relationship with God, in the life that God has created us to live. Now, I want you to know that these steps are progressive. At least the first three are. In other words, you need to take these steps in order. Now, let's review for for just a moment if we can. The first step is salvation. God wants a relationship with you. He wants to set you free from the sin that has enslaved you, from the sin that has a desire to destroy you. But the tragedy is many, if not most people today, are confused when it comes to what it takes to be saved. In our culture, at least, there are many that believe that if we have an intellectual knowledge and an intellectual belief in who Jesus is, then we are saved. If we believe Jesus was virgin born, if we believe that he died on the cross, if we believe he rose from the dead, then we're saved. The majority of Americans believe those things. Well, over 80% of Americans believe each of those truths. But the Bible says that's not what saves us. We're even told that the devils, the demons believe, and they even tremble. It's not intellectual belief that saves us. It is a belief that is the result of repentance in our life. Jesus said this. He said, repent and believe the good news. He told us, unless you repent, you will perish. Now, repentance is is turning from our sin. It's turning from our self-centered living. It's turning from from our self-righteous lives and recognizing that our only hope is through Jesus and surrendering our life to Him. And so, God wants us to be saved, but to do that, we have to repent, and, and then we have to believe. By the way, everyone has to repent. In a recent interview on CNN, Donald Trump was asked about forgiveness and and repentance. And, and I know that many, it seems like even in the evangelical world, have embraced Donald Trump. And he may be the candidate that you want to support. But let me tell you what Donald Trump said when he was asked about forgiveness and repentance. He said, I've never repented. I don't need to. When I do something wrong, I just make it right. But I want you to know that whether you're Donald Trump, a very wealthy, rich man, or whether you live under a bridge, the Bible says that you need to repent to be saved. The first step is is salvation. The second step is making that salvation public, and that's baptism. We are baptized to proclaim our faith in Jesus. And throughout the Word of God, we see that as the first step that that people make. Jesus commanded us to go into the world, make disciples, and and then baptize them. And, And that's what happens throughout the Scripture. When we are baptized, we're proclaiming that Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again to pay for our sins. We are also proclaiming that we have died to sin. We have put that life behind us, and through Jesus Christ, we've been made a new person in Christ. Now, maybe for you this morning, you've never taken that first step, and you need to be saved. And and I beg you, if that's where you're at, to do that. Maybe you're here this morning and it's the second step. You've never publicly professed your faith in Christ. And if that's where you're at, you need to do that. The third step was church membership. 
We discovered that God didn't create us to live in isolation. He didn't save us to live our life in isolation. He saved us to be a part of his body, his family, his church. And the Bible is clear that God not only expects us to be a part of his church, we need to be a part of his church. Listen, if you were not committed to a local church family, you were living in disobedience to the word of God. Some people today just move from church to church and place to place without ever planting any roots. And, and that's not biblical. And so maybe the step you need to take is commitment to a church family. If that's the step you need to take, let me encourage you to make that commitment today. Two weeks ago, Pastor Steve told us about the fourth step. And the fourth step was connecting to a small group. You see... You can come to worship every single Sunday and yet still live in isolation. You can give your money. You can even serve in a ministry and still live in isolation. That's why we need a small group that we gather around, a group that, that we minister to and a group that, that ministers to us. The, the only place that we can truly uh, and effectively ministered the one another's of Scripture is in a small group setting. In the small group, we love one another, we forgive one another, we carry one another's burdens, we encourage one another, we exhort one another, we, we greet one another with that, that holy kiss. And you need to be careful doing that one. But it's in the, one an- in the small groups that we do those things. Last week, Lee Clamp told us about step five, and that's moving from being a member to a missionary, sharing the good news with those that God puts in our path. And and one thing is obvious. God expects us to share his story with other people. I mean, he ends each of the four gospels with that command, that commissioning. In the book of Acts, he tells us that, that we are to be his witnesses. There, there is no way that any of us can ever open up the scriptures and read them for ourselves and come away without understanding that, that we have a responsibility as Christ's followers to share our story and his story with other people. No, no, no. Out of all the steps that we're going to talk about, this is probably the most frightening. This is the, the scariest of all. And the reason is, is I think most of us picture, when we think about, about witnessing, when we think about evangelism, when we think about being a missionary, we, we think about standing on a street corner with a megaphone yelling, repent or perish, turn or burn. And, and, and let me tell you, God may, God may call some people to do that, but, but he doesn't call most of us to do that. God calls us to build relationships with people and share how God's grace has changed our life. And listen, if you were a Christ follower, God's grace has intersected into your life and he's changed everything about you. But today, I want to talk to you about step six. And to be honest with you, step six is a whole lot easier than step five. 
And step six is this. God expects you to serve. God wants you to be saved. God wants you to publicly profess that through baptism. God wants you to get connected to a healthy Bible-teaching church. God wants you to connect to a small group where you can be accountable and you can grow. God wants you to share your story But God also wants you to serve. God God wants you to get off the sidelines and get into the game. God, God wants you to use the unique abilities and gifts that he has given you to build up his body and bring glory to his name. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul reminds us in verse 1 that he is speaking from a prison cell. He is sitting in prison simply because of his commitment to Jesus Christ. And then Paul says this. He says, I beg you to live a life worthy of the calling. In other words, here he is sitting in a prison cell because of the calling of Christ upon his life. And he's saying, I want you to live a life worthy of that calling. In other words, in light of God's grace, in light of God's goodness, Don't waste your life. Invest your life. Make it count. Then he begins to talk to us about the unity that we have in the body. And and notice what he says beginning in verse 3. He says, make every effort to keep yourselves unified in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Now, this is important. Paul said, make every effort, work hard to keep the unity of the Spirit. Make every effort, work hard. Why? Because unity is difficult. Would you agree with that? I mean, unity is not easy. Unity is hard Work, Even though the only hope we have of unity is is the Spirit of Christ living in us, and even though the Spirit of Christ does live in us, that doesn't make unity easy because we are different. And because we are different, let's face it, sometimes we can be difficult. If, If you've ever met somebody you love that can be difficult, say amen. We've all met difficult people. And can I say to you, Sometimes we are all difficult people, aren't we? And so he says, make every effort to live in unity. Then he reminds us that we are one body. He says, every believer belongs to one body. Though there are individual local churches, there is one universal body, the church that we all belong to. Then he says, there is one spirit. Each and every one of us have received the same indwelling spirit, whatever church we're a part of. Then he says there is one hope. We're all looking forward to the same hope of heaven. Our hope isn't here on earth. Our hope is in heaven. Then he says there is one Lord we serve. He says there is one faith that saves. There is one baptism that we all partake in. And then he says there is one God that is over all and in all and works through all. He says we are one. But then he changes directions. In verse 7, he begins with that, that word but or however. 
That conjunction lets us know that even though he's been talking about how we are one, he's now changing directions. And he's not going to talk any longer about how we are one. He is going to talk about how we are different. He's been talking about the unity of the body, but now he's going to start talking about the uniqueness of each and every believer. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning, because you need to understand that we are different, and yet God has created us different for a reason, and he wants to use our unique differences to bring glory to his name and to build up his body. And so there are really four truths in this passage that I want you to see that I believe Paul shares with us. The first one is this. Paul says that God's grace is what empowers us to serve. It's God's grace that empowers us. Listen to what it says beginning in verse 7. However, he, God, has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights... He led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Listen very carefully. Ministry is never about what I can do, but rather it's about what God can do in me and through me. Notice how verse 7 begins. It says, He has given us. You see, God is the one who gives us the gifts and the abilities that we have. Romans 12 verse 6 says, In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. In God's grace, He has given each of us different gifts so that we all can do Certain things, well, everyone cannot do everything well. Uh, Some cannot do everything well. There are none that can't do anything well. But all of us can do some things well. In other words, God through his grace has gifted you to the point that there are some things, one or maybe several things that you can really excel at. When it comes to the kingdom of God. In 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10. Peter says it this way. Each one should use whatever gift he has received. To serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace. In its various forms. Now going back to verse 7. That, that phrase special gift. In the translation I, I read from. The Greek word there is literally charis. It means grace. And in other words. What this verse literally says is this. God in His grace, has generously set us free from sin and has blessed us with spiritual gifts. We are saved by grace. We serve by grace. You see, it's all because of God's grace. God doesn't save me by grace and then say, go at it, serve me. No, God saves me by grace. Then he empowers me through his grace to do what he wants me to do. Understand, service is never about what you can do. It's always about what he can do through you. And rest assured 
He has given you the gifts and the abilities to do anything he has called you to do. Now circle that phrase in verse 7, that phrase, each one of us. Now look at me for just a moment. What that says is this. If you are a Christian, you are gifted. (laughs) Because he's given gifts, he's poured out his grace on each and every one of us. Not a select handful, not many, not most, but all, every one of us. And he gives us those gifts not so that we will prostitute them on the gods of this world, not so that we will use them for our own personal gain, but he gives us these gifts for the good of the body. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In other words, God gifts you not for your benefit, but for the benefit of the body. You see, the Bible teaches that every single member is a minister. And every single one of us should be involved in ministry. And so let me warn you. No matter who you are, no matter how old you may be, if you are a Christ follower, there is no excuse for not serving. You can still serve. Some of you may say, well, I served for years and years and years. It's time for somebody else to do their fair share. Well, yeah, somebody does need to do their fair share. But God never said, I called you to serve me for 10 years and then you go on an extended sabbatical for the rest of your life. God never said that. God gave you these gifts and these abilities so that you can serve him. Not so that you can prostitute them to the gods of this world. Not so that you can use them for your own personal gain, but for the common good of the body. You see, God designed you to make a difference. God wants you to serve his body to change the world. Now get this. This is absolutely incredible. Through the giving of his gifts, God now has filled the entire world with himself. That's what he says in verse 10. He is telling us that when he ascended into heaven, when he descended and gave gifts to his children, and then he ascended into heaven, he made it possible for his body to cover The entire earth. Now Jesus in bodily form. Could never do that. When Jesus took on human form. He limited himself. By taking on a human body. He could only be one place. At one time. He could only do one thing. At one time. And man when he did it. He did it didn't he. But he limited himself. But when his spirit. Indwells his people. And his spirit gives his gifts. And his people spread out around the world. Then the entire world is covered with Jesus. And so understand, when you are exercising the gifts that God has given you and ministering in Jesus' name, you are helping to cover the entire world with the good news of Jesus Christ. So God's grace empowers us to serve. The next truth that we learn in this is God's leaders are to equip us to serve. 
We see this in verses 11 and 12. Notice what it says. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Paul doesn't lift all the spiritual gifts given by God in this chapter. We read a lot more in the book of Romans. We read a lot more in the book of 1 Corinthians. He's not listing all of the gifts here. He's listing the gifts that he has given to lead the church. These are the spiritual offices of the first century church. Now, let me say, there is debate as to whether all these offices are still in place. And there is debate as to what exactly each of these offices entail. What do they mean? And those conversations are useful. We need to study that. We need to know, are there still prophets? Are there still apostles? What do those people do? We need to know the answer to those questions. But understand, the answer to those questions are secondary to this passage. What this passage is teaching us that we need to understand very clearly is that God <coughs> gifts leaders who then equip and prepare God's people to do the work of ministry. Now, and here's what I've discovered. Most churches in America are plateaued or declining. I didn't discover that. That's just a fact. But, but I've discovered why I believe most churches are plateaued or declining. And it's not what you think. It's not because they don't preach the gospel. That certainly will hinder them, though there are churches that are growing that aren't preaching the gospel. It's not because they're sharing the, not sharing the gospel. There are churches that are growing that are sharing a false gospel. There are churches that are not growing that are sharing the gospel. Here's what I believe. The reason most churches aren't growing today is because they've organized upside down. You see, the traditional view is we pay someone to do the work of the ministry. The church brings in hired guns who teach the Bible, who win the laws, to minister to the body, who do, well, well, all the ministry. And we call pastors, we call ministers, and we vote on them, and, and we vote them in so that they can do the ministry. Well, well here's what we've discovered. A minister can only minister to a certain amount of people. An evangelist can only reach a certain amount of people. A pastor and teacher can only teach, especially when you're talking about mentoring a certain group of people. And so if you believe that you call people and you hire people and you pay people to do the work of ministry, you're going to always be limited. That's why the typical church in America never grows beyond 90 to 110 people because we have this traditional view. Now, the biblical view is very different. The biblical view is this. God calls pastors and teachers and spiritual leaders who equip God's people to do the work of the ministry. And so the traditional view is we pay someone to come in to do the ministry. The biblical view is, no, we call someone in who is called of God, who can then equip us to do the work of the ministry. Now, that word 
Equip is an interesting word. It means to perfect or prepare. It occurs only in this verse. The Greek word only occurs in this one place in the New Testament. And it literally comes from a word that means to bring to a condition of fitness. Have you ever seen America's Biggest Loser? You ever seen that? I enjoy that show. Have you, have you ever seen Extreme Weight Loss? You've got these shows where you have these people that are extremely out of shape, overweight, and they have a trainer that is assigned to them that is there to help them get in shape and at their optimal weight. Now, and here's what I've discovered watching that show. The trainer can't force someone to do the exercise. They can't make them do it. They can encourage them. They can compel them. They can give them the tools, but they can't force them. And you see, spiritual leaders can't force people to grow in the faith and be equipped for service, but that's what they are called to do. You see, your pastors are called by God to get you to that 100% level of fitness in your service to the body of Christ. That's one of the primary jobs of any pastor. So pastors must continually evaluate. Are we doing what God called us to do? And one of the ways that we evaluate that is, are you doing what God has called you to do? And if you're not, then we've got to step up our game because we've been ineffective. And sometimes what we want to do is we want to kind of let the church become codependent on us. Because if you're dependent on us, then you need us. But if we equip you and you can do the work, we may, well, we may work ourselves out of a job. But that's what we're called to do. The leaders equip. And so we see God's grace and powers. It's not about what we can do, but it's about what he can do through us. God's leaders equip. We need to listen to and follow God-appointed leaders. The third thing we see here is that God's people then work. Verse 12 says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. You see, today, too many people, when they're choosing a church, they choose it because they want to be recipients of ministry rather than an instrument of ministry. Let me, let me ask you a question, if I may. When it comes to serving in ministry in the church, are you more interested in ministering or being ministered to? Then you say, well, how do I know? Well, what do you get upset at? I mean, do you get upset when you feel like you're not being ministered to? You missed a couple of Sundays and nobody called you? You know, you were in the hospital and nobody sent you a pound cake? You know, whatever it may be. Do you get more upset when you're not ministered to? Or do you get all more upset when you're not ministering? You see, most people today get more upset when they feel like they're not being ministered to rather than when they're not having the opportunity to minister. And God says the big thing is we need to minister. A first grade teacher asked her class this question one day. She said, what do you do to help at home? And one by one, they all answered the question. One little girl said, I dry the dishes. The 
Uh, one little boy said, well, I feed the dog. Uh, another little girl said, well, I sweep the floor. And one by one, the kids went through and they told what they did to help at home. Every kid answered except one little kid, Johnny. He didn't answer. He was sitting at the back of the class and the teacher called on Johnny and said, Johnny, what do you do to help? And Johnny said, well, well I stay out of the way. And, and I think that's the mindset of a, a lot of people in church today is I'm going to just stay out of the way and let the professionals do this. I'm going to stay out of the way and let someone who is more gifted do this. And God doesn't call us to do that. The word work, by the way, there in verse 12, it's the Greek word ergon, which means to labor or to work hard. It implies to us that, that oftentimes ministry, oftentimes service is hard. There will be times when, when you have to sacrifice. There will be times when you have to make choices. There will be times that you have to do without because you're going to be involved in ministry. But understand it's worth it. It's worth it. Now notice what he says in verse 16. He says, he makes the whole body, that's Christ, Christ makes the whole body fit together perfectly. God is the one putting the pieces together. As each part does its own special work, it helps all the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And so notice what it says. It's Christ that that makes the body fit together, but the body is only going to fit together when everyone is doing that special ministry. Each one is fulfilling that special role. Each one is doing the special work that God has called them to do. You see, if you are a Christian, you have gifts that God gives you to bless His body, the church. And understand, if you consider Northside your church home... God has given you gifts that He expects you to use to bless and build up His body. There are no spectators in the body of Christ. We're all participants. We have all been given assignment. Have you discovered yours? Uh, Do you know what yours is? Now, you may say, well, how do I discover my my gifting, my calling? And, And let me give you three things. I'm going to give these to you quickly. You can study them for yourself. First of all, you've got to dedicate. I mean, you're never really going to understand your gift until you are completely dedicated. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul said this, Those who make themselves clean from all of these evil things will be used for special purposes because they are dedicated and useful to their master. That word dedicated means set apart. It means that... that Your number one commitment is now to Christ and discovering His purpose for your life. Understand, you're never going to discover your role completely until you are completely dedicated to what He wants you to do. God, whatever you want me to do, I want to do. If it's cleaning toilets, that's where my gifts are, man, I want to do it for your glory. If If it's parking cars, I want to do that. If it's Preaching to thousands, I want to do that. If it's singing, I want to do that. If it's changing diapers, I want to do that. Whatever it is you've called me to do, God, I I just want to do it. And right now, before I even discover it, I'm just saying, I'm yours. I'm dedicated. 
you got to be willing to do that. You see, too many of us can be prima donnas. And what I mean by that is, is we want to serve as long as we get to choose the role. And God says, wait a second, that's not how it works. I, I gift you in the way that I need to use you. And so dedicate. The second word is eliminate. You've got to eliminate anything that is going to be a distraction to what God has called you to do. Paul said in Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, what belongs to the earthly nature. In other words, we've got to be willing to lay aside, put on the altar, anything that keeps us from being totally dedicated. And let me tell you, there are a lot of distractions out there today, aren't there? And we don't have time to go into to the details and to... Name names and things like that. But let me just say, this world gives us a lot of distractions. Not necessarily bad things. Just distractions to keep us from the best things. So we dedicate, we eliminate. And then finally, if we want to discover those gifts, we participate. Now at Northside, we have a class that helps you discover your spiritual gifts. It's called Finding Your Stride. And and we teach it about once a quarter, something like that. And, and in that class, you can discover your spiritual gifts, your, your natural talents. You can discover how your life experiences play into who you are. All of those things. It's an incredible class. And in that class, you can take a spiritual gift test. You can take a personality test. All of those things. But here's what I've discovered. Taking a test isn't the best way to discover how God's gifted you. And here's why. When you take a test, whether it's a spiritual gift test or a personality test, all you are doing at that moment is identifying how you look at yourself. Would you agree? And so if I, if I think this is who I am, this is how I'm going to answer the questions. And the truth of the matter is those, those perceptions of ourself change from time to time. And, and so any gift test, any personality test can be flawed in and of itself. Here's what I've discovered. The best way to discover your giftedness is trial and error. Start serving. Just start serving. Because here's what the Bible seems to indicate. When you discover the area of your giftedness, two things will happen. You will be fulfilled. You see, all too often we're afraid that God's going to call us to do something we hate doing. But what we don't realize is if, if God's called us to do it, He's going to also give us a passion for doing it. He's going to light a fire in our belly, and we're going to want to do it. And so there's going to be fulfillment on our part, and there's going to be fruitfulness from it. I mean, other people are going to be blessed by that. And so trial and error, we get involved in ministry. I mean, you say, okay, I'm going to try the, the first impressions ministry, which is vital. And, I mean, we, we just can't seem to muster a smile in the morning. I mean, you know, we greet people at the door. Well, I guess I'm glad you're here. And we can't do anything about that. Well, I would say you got a bigger problem. But probably first impressions and, and hospitality isn't your gift. If, if you say, I'm going to try the preschool and, and you're working with bed babies. And bed babies can be kind of whiny. They, they're needy. I mean, they can make messes. And you sit back and say, I, I can't believe this kid wants me to uh, hold him. 
I, I, can't, I can't believe he's hungry. Goodness gracious, he's done pooped in his diaper again. I mean, he's, he's three months old. He should know better by now. I, I mean, if that's your attitude, probably preschool isn't your area. Probably not. You say, I'm going to try student ministry. And you go, you go on a retreat with the students and, and you want to send them to the hospital. It's probably not your area. You say, I want to sing. And you get up and sing, and, and, and people's response is, bless your heart. That's not a good thing. I know you're going, whoa, yeah, that's a compliment. No, it's, it's not. It's, it's not. So, so you trial and error. And as you begin to get involved in ministry, you find your gifts. So you work. The people do the work. And so here's what we've discovered. God's grace empowers us. It's not what we can do. It's what God's grace can do through us. God's leaders equip us. The pastor's responsibility, one of their primary responsibilities, is to help you serve him at optimal level. God's people do the work. Once you find your area of giftedness, man, you work. You work for the night is coming. But then the final thing is as we do this, and as we organize this way, Paul says God's church grows. Look at verse 13. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. Now, as we read those verses and we add to it verse 12, we discover four ways that the church grows as the people are equipped and begin to work. First of all, the church grows numerically. People start coming to Christ. You see, the reason is, is because when you are serving in the area of your giftedness, we are multiplying our effectiveness in the world. And so when we have a church of thousands of people who were all ministering in the area of their giftedness, serving the body, serving the community, we begin to grow exponentially. We grow numerically. Next, we grow in unity. Here's what I've discovered. People who are working hard rowing the boat don't have a lot of time to rock the boat. I mean, when you're working, you don't have time to complain because you're Working And as you're working and serving the Lord, you're not looking around seeing what someone else is doing or not doing. You're focused on what God's called you to do. And, and as we focus on what God has called us to do, rather than being concerned about what everybody else is or is not doing, then all of a sudden we discover we have unity in the body. And then we grow in maturity. We're, we're no longer being deceived by every wave of doctrine that comes out. We, we no longer are buying everything that some pseudo-preacher is selling. Because one of the best ways to grow in our faith is to begin to serve in ministry. And then we grow in, in love. 
We discover as we begin to serve that all of a sudden our love for God and our love for one another grows exponentially. And so my question for you is simply this. Are you serving? And if not, uh, why not? Now, if you're not a believer, let me tell you, you, you don't need to be serving. You need to focus on your relationship with Jesus. And understand your serving is never going to make Jesus love you more. <laughs> you're saved by his grace. And when you turn from sin and trust Jesus, he saves you not according to your works, but according to his finished work on the cross. And so understand, you're not saved by serving. But when you saved, you are saved. You're going to want to serve him. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of work so that no one should boast. And then he says this, For we are his workmanship. It's masterpiece. Created in Christ to do good works. When we're saved... We will serve. And so are you serving? If not, here's what I want to encourage you to do today. On that communication card, if you're not actively, regularly serving in ministry right now, and you consider Northside your home, I want you on that card to simply write the word serve. And what we're going to do is we're going to get in touch with you. We're going to let you know when our next Finding Your Stride class is, but we're not going to wait for that. We're going to begin to talk to you about how you can begin to plug in and through trial and error, find that place of ministry that God has uniquely wired you to serve in. And so let me encourage you to do that. But before we pray, I, I just want to also encourage you in one other area. If you're here and, and you haven't ever repented of your sin, Trusted Christ alone. His death on the cross is the only hope of your salvation. Then I would encourage you today to humble yourself. Swallow your pride. Your attempts at trying to please God by what you do. And accept his offer of salvation. That was paid for on the cross. Because he loves you that much. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. And if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I want to encourage you. You don't have to do this out loud. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer right now. Dear God, I come to you this morning acknowledging I need you. I am a sinner. I've lived life my way. Even though I've never said it, I've Live like I was my own God. I know self-rule is sin. Forgive me. I believe you love me. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the grave to pay for my sins so that I could be saved. And this morning, I'm trusting you to save me. I'm turning from sin and turning my life over to you. Take control. 
save me. Thank you for hearing me. And thank you for saving me, Jesus. Amen.